Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke via Matthew 2, the day after Christmas. We are in the book of Luke, but we're not going to be there today. It's still, still our study of Luke, but we're going to be moving over to Matthew. And the reason why we're doing that is because um, Luke doesn't include part of the Christmas story. Part of If all we had was Luke, we would think that everything was peachy. And, um, you know, the shepherds came and that Simeon... Uh, sang and Anna prophesied and that Mary treasured everything up in her heart until uh, Jesus went into his public ministry. We would think that, but uh, actually there was a lot, of, a lot more happening there and, and thankful for Matthew because Matthew includes part of what I would suggest to you we don't really include in our Christmas stories for obvious reasons. They don't make it on any greeting cards. Three things we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 13 through 23 in just a minute. Um, I said, uh, if all we had was Luke, we would think that everything was just going to go fine. And in fact, it did not go fine. Um, there was tears, fears, problems, dangerous death, mourning, uh, almost immediately visiting this young couple, this young family. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. But I want to start out with a, with a poem uh, written by a guy by the name of Dave Veerman, a poem that may resonate with some of you. Uh, it is called uh, Many Happy Returns, speaking about returning your presence after Christmas. Here's what he says. "'Twas the day after Christmas, all through the room. Strewn wrappings were crying for use of a broom. Children were scattered, friends' gifts exploring, because most of their gifts were broken and boring. All tummies were stuffed from fabulous feasts. Leftovers could serve for one month at least. And Mama and Papa were countryside ranging those unwanted gifts returned or exchanging. Yes, Christmas is past with his bustle and noise, sales and carols, Santas and toys. Decorations are packed, Yule trees are discarded, the holiday's over, and we just got started. Uh, somebody always called it the uh, post-Christmas crash. Uh, the all-wise Yogi Berra put it this way. He says, there ain't nothing as over as Christmas. Isn't that right? It's just like, boom, it's like a wall falls and back into reality, and there's no trailing off. There's a lot of lead-in. You know, for anymore, we're starting to decorate for Christmas like in September, it seems. And um, there's a lot of lead-in, but man, there is no follow-through because Christmas is just over. Uh, someone said it's where your fa-la-la-la-las turn into the blah-blah-blah-blah-blahs. <laughs> and uh, here we are, you know, more or less in the dead of winter. This is the dead of winter, don't you know? We have some people from north and Canada and other places. This is the way it always is down here. Sunny and 75. That's if you're buying. That's what my realtors are telling me to tell you that. <laughs> so bye, bye, bye. Luke concludes this, the story of Jesus' birth, like I said, on bright things, but uh, not so much Matthew. And we're going to be looking at that. Three Christmas scenes that don't make it into Christmas cards. And we begin with this scene of the escape to Egypt. So the wise men have come, probably takes them a year, a little more of a year to, to show up there. They're not a part of the manger scene, even though we put them in there because we don't have another place to put them over there. We can't hold out Christmas for a year and wait to tell their story. We've got to tell it all together. So they've just left. Verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. How long is that? I would suggest to you that that's the primary way God leads. 
We're going to talk about that later on in the sermon, maybe too much. But I would suggest to you that's primarily the way God leads our lives. He doesn't lead with bookends. Stay until you're 80. Stay until you're 20. Stay until, what does he normally say is stay until I say. Just like he says here. I mean, for crying out loud, if he's going to tell it to Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, he's probably going to do it with you. So we need to get used to that kind of leadership. Stay in Egypt until I, until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And we know that he did. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. Notice, right then. He gets woken up from a bad dream. Joseph moves. And what an example of how to honor God when God tells you to do something that this man is. Departs for Egypt in the night. And he was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken of the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. So um, this first uh, part that scene that doesn't make it into our Christmas cards for obvious reasons is the story of the flight to Egypt. And again, what an what example that Joseph shows us. No words attributed to Joseph in the scriptures. We're certain that he spoke. But no words attributed to him. What is attributed to him is action. Scripture says, we'll see in a minute, he gets up in the middle of the night and takes Mary to be his wife when the angel comes to him and says, Mary is with child through the Holy Spirit. Boom, he does it. The angel wakes or takes him to a dream sequence here that says, get up and leave and go to Egypt. What does he do? He doesn't wait till he has his coffee. He gets up and does it. It's impressive. It really is. Uh, rescuing Jesus, rescuing uh, Mary and his whole family and heading down there. You heard the story out of Florida, their headlines called GPS Jesus. Anybody? GPS Jesus' true story, what happened is, is this manger scene, I don't think it was this year, I think it was the previous year, this particular manger scene, this particular baby Jesus that they had in the manger scene, the, the baby Jesus was constantly being stolen. Like people, they'd get up the next day and everything would be there except for the baby Jesus. So they would replace baby Jesus and then two or three days later the baby Jesus would be stolen. So they decided to bolt baby Jesus down to the crib or to the manger. Guess what? It didn't work. They took the whole thing. Well, what they wanted with that baby Jesus and not other baby Jesus, I don't know. So they decided to stop bolting baby Jesus down, and they put a GPS tracker inside of baby Jesus. And uh, last I heard, I don't know if it ever worked out, no one ever stole, I guess the word got out, no one ever stole baby Jesus after that. But uh, the woman who was in charge of the ma that particular manger scene, I'm not sure it was at a church or a public display or what it was, said, she said this, quote, we need technology to save our Savior, she said. I thought, isn't that interesting? Because it's kind of the same way in, in the early story here. You have the angelic technology here that intervenes, uh, of course, led by God to protect baby Jesus and, and so that Mary and Joseph could make this escape and be saved from this paranoid uh, killer king by the name of Herod who was famous for his exploits of just eliminating people. Uh, Bethlehem to the border of Egypt, 80 miles on foot. We talked about it last time. They un very unlikely they had a donkey. I was looking at it, we have a little statuette thing inside of our house, Mary and Joseph, and of course the story, you know, it's, it's typical, Mary and Joseph are really nicely dressed, they're on this really nice, well-fed donkey, and none of that, guys, these people were dirt, poor, they didn't have money for a donkey, they walked the 90 miles to, to uh, make it to Bethlehem, they walk another 90 miles to the border of Egypt, and probably another 200 miles to Alexandria, Egypt, which is where the major Jewish community of more than a million people, more than a million Jews were at that time. And so they're 300 miles, more or less, uh, on foot, carrying a, carrying a kit. And um, 
Wow, well, better than, like I said, staying in the country underneath this terrible man. Let's watch and see what he does here. The second thing that doesn't make it our greeting cards is the baby massacre, verse 16. It says that when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he says, go and find the baby, come back and tell me where he is so that I can worship him. Right, no, he's going to try to kill him because that's the way this guy ran. He became very enraged since he'd been tricked. Sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all the environments, environs for two years old and under. Wow. And you're just getting a glimpse of what was commonly known about this guy in this culture. He'd been on the throne for 40-something years by this point. They all knew what he was capable of. No shocker to anyone there. Shocker to us. This is classic Herod. Great. According to the time which he had so he ascertained, basically somewhere oh, more than a year, we had started seeing this star for the Magi. So he says, well, it must have happened somewhere more than a year. So kill all the babies two years younger. I don't care. And, and let me just also say this. I'm not sure what your vision of that is, which is probably not, nothing. No good vision, certainly. But it wouldn't have been thousands of babies. It would have been hundreds of babies. Remember, we talked about Bethlehem. Bethlehem is small, tiny. Throw a rock across it. Uh, unlikely more than 20, 30, maybe 40 babies killed. Still, how many, how many babies does it take for it to be a tragedy, really? So it's a tragedy nonetheless, but you're not looking at hundreds or anything like that. Again, just to bring it back to what, what probably was reality. And then they, which, that which was spoken of Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying the voice of heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. Why does it say Rachel? Because Rachel's buried right outside the city. We stay in Jerusalem. We stay there. We overhead this. We live in a. We stay in a in a, in a kibbutz called Ramat Rachel. It's a hotel overlooking. Literally, Ramat Rachel literally means the overlook of Rachel. We overlook her grave, which overlooks Bethlehem. So it's this 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 picture, this symbolic picture of this this uh, ancestor to the Jews weeping over these children who have been killed, and she refuses to be comforted that because they were no more. And so you had this baby massacre. King Herod uh, was. A real piece of work uh, in every sense of the term. Uh, bought his title as king from the Roman government, king of the Jews. He wanted particularly to be called king of the Jews. He himself was not Jewish. He was Edomian, or he was of the tribe of Esau. He was Edomite. So he had no Jewish blood, but he wanted to be called king of the Jews just because he was that kind of guy. And so he had a real problem since he bought the title of king of the Jews when the Magi show up in his town and start saying, we want to see him who was born king of the Jews. Wait a minute. This paranoid dude is like, someone is here to take my throne, and believe me, he was that way. Uh, his father, and, and um, I would say he came of it kind of naturally. His father was murdered. His father was assassinated. Someone poisoned him. And so he assumed the power of his father, plus added some and bought some from the Romans, of course. And he was very paranoid about people taking his throne. I mean, to the delusional side of paranoia. This guy... Um, he snuffed out any threat he thought possible. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed two of his sons. He killed his mother-in-law, which may seem reasonable to some of you. But it was not. She was not a threat. He killed one of his wives because she was faithful to him. That's why he killed her. And he wanted to remain faithful perpetually. So he killed her before she could ever cheat on him. That was, that's, that's the way he thought. Um, all, all of this, like I said, having done this already, so that he comes out there and kills 40 or 50 Jewish babies, no shocker at all. 
None whatsoever. It's just the way the guy rolled. It's the way he did things. And uh, like I said, prob probably not near the hundreds or thousands that we may have thought of. So, so there's one that makes, doesn't make the greeting cards, a baby massacre. The other one doesn't make the greeting cards. It's the return to Nazareth. Uh, let's keep reading here in verse 19. It says, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. So notice, I, I think it pointed out carefully here, Joseph doesn't just hear the news that Herod is dead, and so boom, he takes off and goes back. Oh, here's the news that, that, Mary, that, that Herod is dead, and what does he do? He stays where he is, because he doesn't do anything unless he hears from God on it. What a guy. What a guy. Pay attention to the way Joseph works here. So much information we need. So he doesn't until he hears from the angel does he arise and go back with the child and his mother to the land of Israel, verse 22. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned by God in a dream. Again, he doesn't take a move until he hears from God. Born by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came to reside in the city called Nazareth, that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled, that he should be called a Nazarene. So just try to find a spot for his family to live, right, where he can ply his trade and, and uh, take care of them and can't seem to find a place to settle because of all the things that are going against him. Not exactly fun and games. The, the afterglow of Christmas wasn't very glowy for them. It was sort of rough. Like I said, tears, fears, trials, tribulations, mornings, griefs, deaths. Um, uh, just uh, Jesus was uh, uh, brought a, a lot of trouble into their lives. Being faithful to God always does. So, so again, though, Joseph's actions are to be noted here. What a man of obedience. So, so what, what comes up out of this text that we can talk about this morning to really help us through the Christmas blahs and the afterglow of Christmas and the returning packages and everything to make this year a better year for us? I want to give you some suggestions and some things that come straight out of the text. Number one, here's a thought. Change your life, 2020. Uh, 2020, you got it all in focus, Right? 2020, I can change, you can change your life. Here's, here's how you do it. Try instant obedience for a, for, a, for a change. Try when you know what God wants you to do that you instantly do it. How about that? How, how would our lives change, mine and yours, if we obeyed the way Joseph did? I don't know about y'all, I'm, I'm into obedience, but to me it's instant enough after I've had my coffee. It wasn't that for Joseph. He doesn't have his coffee, he doesn't wait till the morning, he doesn't wait till his wife has a good nap, he just simply does it. He takes care of it. He's a man of action. Again, uh, Matthew 124, we, we start off the introduction here of Joseph, and Joseph is not sure about this whole story of Mary being pregnant by the Holy Spirit thing, and he's about to put her away, it says. And then the angel comes to him and tells him, no, uh, this child is of the Holy Spirit. And so what does Joseph do? Same thing we see him do here. Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel Lord commanded him and took him his wife. Notice, he doesn't go back to bed and say, you know what, I'll get the first thing in the morning, we'll get that taken care of. No, he gets up. He gets it done. As a change for us this year, may I suggest instant obedience Instant obedience, he instantly gets up and goes to Egypt. Instantly goes and takes Mary as his wife. Instantly back to Israel. Instantly back to Nazareth. As soon as he hears from God, that's all he needs to hear. Nothing more. He doesn't do any of the stuff that we typically do, which is ask for more information. That's sort of my ploy. Well, I need to know more about this. Well, I think 
if God intended you to know more about it, that he would have told you. But since it's all he told you is all you've got, then that is what you need to know. And when you need any more information, he will bring that to you. Again, what comes up out of the text is something that we, including me, definitely need to hear. He doesn't ask for more information. He doesn't request for more time. Not even in the morning. He just gets up and goes. He doesn't question. He doesn't make a deal or try to. He doesn't complain about his situation. He just simply takes it for what it is. And we talked about Joseph several Sundays ago and the stuff he had to give up, this standing that he had in the community to take under his wing and protection this girl who was got this cockamamie story of being conceived by the Holy Spirit, yet still claiming to be a virgin. All of her problems became his. He uses this, loses his status in the community. He doesn't care because he knows it's what God's doing, you see. And so he commits himself to the things of God. And Wow, what a guy. What a guy. You want a better religious life? Here's a suggestion. Try obedience. We try a lot of things, right? I just want to be a better person. Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. Try obedience. There's nothing that will more enrich your religious life than just simply doing what God told you to do. 1 Samuel 15, 22, God speaking through Samuel, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, religious stuff, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. Jesus adds to this here in John 13, verse 17, Speaking of the things of God, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If. It's a really big if, capital I, capital F. It's not that their blessings aren't there. It, 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 ask Joseph, but, but you got to do them. If you do. If. It's a big if. There's something for us to think about. I mean, like I said, in, jo in, in the Bible, there's not a single word attributed to Joseph. Don't ever have a sentence. He never gets a line in the whole play, the whole Christmas pageant, even though I know the ones you went to at church all had Joseph speaking something. But I'm telling you, in the Bible, he doesn't say a thing. He just does stuff. Good stuff. Not a heart, not a word attributed to Joseph. I'm sure he spoke. But he's not known for what he says. He's known for what he does, you see. Maybe a, a change for us in 2020 would be to shut our traps more and instead do what we ought to be doing, which is, like I said, instant obedience. What a novel idea. Beating the blah, 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 blahs. Instant obedience will do that. Number two, expecting opposition will also do that. Expect opposition in 2020 for those who are trying to follow God and honor him with their lives. You should expect opposition. It will help you overcome a lot of this blah, 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 blah. We get blah, 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 blah when things happen to us that we didn't, we shouldn't be that way. Following Jesus always equals that life goes smooth. It's book of second opinions, right? Yeah. This is not otherwise in the Bible. And for crying out loud, if it didn't happen to the first couple with the baby Jesus, why should you expect that? The first couple who bore the name of the Son of God everywhere they went, and in fact, the actual person of the Son of God, had it rough, why should you expect different? You should expect opposition. We should, somewhere we swallow this lie that the Lord is, the way is a trouble-free way, and I just don't see where we get that from the Scriptures. Mary and Joseph's story was, was uh, there, the fun ended. The, 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 the comfortable small-town life ended when, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be with child, and then goes to Joseph and says, you make sure and take Mary as your wife. 
It was over then. They were okay with it. They don't sit in heaven right now regretting it. But you and I stand in fear of that kind of stuff. I don't want any opposition. I want it to all go well. I don't know how it is for you, but most of my prayers, if you just put a line under them, you know, this prayer plus this prayer plus this prayer equals what? Mine all equal, make my life easier and keep me out of trouble. Isn't that the way your prayers are? Now I'm trying to get better, but typically that's what I'm asking. I'm praying for so-and-so because if so-and-so doesn't get their life right, they're going to put me in a tight place. I'm just, I'm just shooting straight with y'all. I'm praying for my own self and my own situation, my wife's situation, because I just don't want to be stressed. Anybody here plan to be stressed for 2020? God, please bring stress and anxiety into my life. <laughs> no! That's not the way you're praying. You're praying the opposite, aren't you? Listen, and I'm not saying that God's not in favor of those prayers necessarily. I just don't find always in the scriptures where he is first to answer that kind of prayer, per se. Mary and Joseph, uh, their lives got turned upside down with Jesus coming into their lives. Uh, they weren't believed by anyone. As I said, I submitted to you that one of the reasons why Joseph doesn't leave Mary in Nazareth to make the 90-mile journey and make a two-week turnaround and just come back is because he couldn't leave her. Because he wouldn't, couldn't be confident that she would be protected from the onslaught of the people, that society saying this girl is pregnant and she's claiming to be by the Holy Spirit to make it even worse. So he has to take her with her 90 miles on foot, nine months pregnant, not a cakewalk. Being hunted and having to flee and live like refugees. And was it their best time? What did they live off of, by the way? We get to that. How can we think that we, bearing the name of Christ, how can we expect anything less than this? We want less, right? But we shouldn't expect it. How did God, God didn't remove the difficulties, and it could he? So, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here as Joseph, and the angel comes to me and says, you need to get up and leave because Herod's searching for the baby. And I would just, my, my rebuttal to God would be, you don't rebut God, but if you did, why don't you just kill him? Can't you just kill, knock off people when they need to be? For crying out loud, a, a man as wicked as this dude, hunting the Son of God, is a guy needing killing. Don't you think? If anybody needed killing, it was him. So let's just kill him. God could have done that, but he didn't. God could have made it away, could have done anything he wanted to, could have had him born anywhere. We talked about all that last time. The, the, but, he, but he didn't. That's the most important thing here. He did not. He did not remove the obstacles. He instead led them through them. Again, what is your typical prayer? My typical prayer is remove all the obstacles. Is that right? Typical answer is no. Experientially. Experientially, is the obstacles in many cases stay, maybe even get worse, but the beauty and the power of God and the richness of the Christian walk is that he guides you through all those things, right? That, that, that the experience that you have with him and that he's bigger than, oh yeah, I can kill a Herod for you, but I can do better than that. I can guide you around why Herod does all of his stuff thinking he's sovereign, that he's got all this power. I can guide you around why he won't touch a single hair of your head. That's the way God is. That's the way he most often is. Bearing the name of the Savior meant for Mary and Joseph, the quiet small town life was over. And good news, listen guys, always has enemies. It always does. The gospel, bearing the name of Christ, always will be opposed. The post-Christmas world is neither our hope nor our home. 
And part of that reminder comes when opposition comes. So be prepared. Instant obedience, be prepared for opposition. Number three, focus on God's sovereign plan. Focus on God's sovereign plan. Look bad from the outside. Let's, let's just take an outside look from Mary and Joseph. So how is this an up for them? She gets told she's having the baby by the Holy Spirit. She nearly loses her marriage with Joseph until the angel goes and convinces Joseph otherwise, right? I'm thinking that's not fun. It's not fun being all by yourself. We don't know how long that was, days, weeks, I don't know. And then, and now it's Mary and Joseph together convinces the will of God. Who else is convinced it's the will of God outside of them? I'm thinking nobody. Mom and dad, don't believe them. Friends and family, don't believe them. Elizabeth, living, you know, 60 miles south, and her husband, Zacharias, and they're the only two of the whole planet that believes these two guys. Of course, all the angels in heaven do, but, but, but not them. So, so they have all these difficulties, and, and then they've got to travel 90 miles, they've got to have all this stuff, and then all of that doesn't seem like your typical televangelist telling you that if you trust Jesus, everything will turn out perfect and peachy keen for me. It doesn't seem that way to me. And if God could have done it, and he could have, but he didn't, I'm thinking that even though he can change your situation completely, that he probably, he may not. He may not. It needs to be okay. Really does, because God's bigger than just changing stuff. God is bigger than that. Everything, even though you have a, a wicked Herod and a wicked Caesar doing all the things they want to do in their own thought, they thought they had sovereign power. It turns out that they were just simply bowing to the will and the direction of God. Isn't that not true? That's what's happening. So God is big to take all these circumstances without changing them at all, seemingly, and yet orchestrate them exactly according to his will, his plan, his pleased determined way, and to take you as his child, who he's always known, through all that process. In the end, bring himself glory and bring you great encouragement. He's able to do all that. There was a pastor I read who, um, in fact, uh, a pastor, I'll have to say, who uh, some, several of these points in the sermons I want to give him credit for, a guy by the name of Brian Bill, don't know the guy. But I really like some of his points, and I pull in some of this. So I want to make sure that you don't think I'm brilliant for this this time. Next time, will it let you think that? This pastor, he said he set up a manger scene in his front yard, and uh, you know the typical plastic statuettes, you know, so like the manger scene, but bigger, with a light stuck in the bottom of them, you know, and so you could see it at night, and the little I don't know grass hut thing over the top of them, and a big wind came up, blew the whole thing down. Grass hut was gone. All the, the figurines, uh, you know, the Mary and Joseph and the wise men, the shepherds and the animals were all toppled over with the exception of the baby Jesus in the manger. And his wife said, hey, you need to go out there and fix that. He says, yeah, I'm going to go out there and do it. He's headed out there and he's sort of looking at it. He's sort of thinking, you know, that's, I kind of like it. So you got the baby Jesus there isolated, perfect condition. Everybody else is on their face before baby Jesus. He says, that's the way it's going to go anyway. I'm going to leave it like that. That's the way it is. Where we find Herod and, and Caesar and, and all these others, where do they, even though they're working their supposed sovereign power, what happens to them? They're just on their face before the Son of God. Just on their face before the, so, the real sovereign, right, who's directing things. And, and, and by the way, ever wonder where Mary and Joseph, where they got their provisions to live? It's about a four-year, we're talking about a four-year time period between the time that they leave Bethlehem and arrive, I mean, I'm sorry, leave Nazareth, arrive in Bethlehem, and make their track all, before they ever come back to Nazareth. From the time they leave Nazareth to get back to Nazareth, looking at about four years. Where did they get their money? They were hand to mouth. 
Day to day, you live paycheck to paycheck, they live day to day. If they didn't get money by the end of the day, they didn't eat the next day. That's the way they ran it. And, and you leave your town, you leave your trade, even if you've got a shingle hung out there, you've got to go to a town where you've never been before, how are you going to make money? How are you going to do that? Where do they get their money from? A suggestion, a possibility, or in fact, not a possibility, a probably certainty. What did the three wise men, we don't know if there were three, right? But they show up with what? Whataburger, <laughs> Coca-Colas, some chips, right? No. What do they show up with? Gold, frankincense. You know, these things were, they were traded within each other. Gold had a value based upon myrrh, and myrrh had a value based upon gold. Frankincense had, a, these things were valuable liquid assets. So God brings them this stuff, and the wise men are thinking, we, we can't go empty-handed. Mary and Joseph thinking, what do we need this stuff for? And lo and behold, they spend four years on the road as exiles and refugees. And what do, they, what do they take care of themselves with? The provision that God had for them four years before. Now, not, God doesn't always work that way, but he often works that way. I would suggest to you, because it comes out of the text, I would suggest you pay attention to what's in your hand today. I'm not just talking about liquid assets. Other things. Pay attention to where God currently has you and the lessons he currently has you in. Could it be you, him preparing you for something that's coming? Manage that stuff well. Don't rifle through it and don't try to run out of the circumstances you're in. Maybe God has you in an education mode, if you will. You're going to stay where he's got you until he moves you somewhere else because that somewhere else is what he's preparing for you now. Pay attention to what you have here at the end of 2019 because God may be having you and shaping you for something that's happening in 2020 or somewhere further ahead. It was true for Mary and Joseph. I would suggest to you it could be true also for you. Again, he didn't eliminate the obstacles. He just directed them around. He provided the provisions that they needed to get them through, didn't he? Doing the same with us. Important thing here. Because I'm amazed at Joseph because I'm, I'm impressed with, with how he handles himself. And, and Mary too, not to say they were making collective decisions, but both honoring God. His, his directions that God brought to this couple were step by step. Just a four-year time window. He could have given them the whole picture. So you're going to go down to Bethlehem, Mary's going to have the baby, and you're going to be there for maybe a year and a half, and then you're going to have to skedaddle because of this wicked king. You're going to go down to Egypt for maybe a year and a half until he bites the bullet, and then we're going to come back here, and then ultimately you're going to be legged back into Nazareth. It's going to be about four years. Send a note to your mom and dad so they'll know, you know kind of when to expect you. God is capable of doing that. He did not do that. He did not. He only gave them the piece of the puzzle that was next. He only gave them the leg of the journey that was next. He didn't give them the second leg, ever. Not even when he comes back into Israel. He, he, so so he, says, he, he says, leave Bethlehem and go to uh, Egypt for how long? Until I say. How long is that? Until I say. God's got you in a holding pattern. I'm going to tell you when it's going to be over. You ready for this? It's over when it's over, that's how you know. You won't have to ask me. If you haven't asked your pastor, when is it going to be over? He, he, number one, he doesn't know. Number two, I can assure you he will also say, if it's me, we, it apparently isn't over. 
We can tell you for sure that today it isn't over, so stay where you are until God moves you, until he does something different. So, so they were not given the next step until they did the first step. They had to obey the first message before they got the next one. You follow me? A lot of times we want to jump ahead. I want to know about four years from now. You may be dead in four years. I want to know about a year. You may be dead in a year. Do what you're supposed to do today. Here, here's, here's a great, great lesson and point to be made out of this. If you want to know the will of God then do the will of God that you currently know. That's what you need to be doing. Because that is what enabled Joseph and Mary to get the next step, you see. You want to move on to the third step? I'll do the first step, and then do the second step, and then the third step you'll be ready for. Not until then. Ray, Ray Pritchard, pastor, put it this way. He says, if you really want to know the will of God, he says, you'll know it. Isn't that interesting? That is so true. If you really want to know the will of God, you will know it. You will know it. Some of us here don't, don't know the will of God because we really don't want to know it. Because you're scared of what it might be. I understand. I really do. It's not right, but I understand it. And so you'll tell the pastor and yourself and your husband or your wife or your children or whoever and anybody you're meeting with, I'd really love to know the will of God, but deep down in your heart you really don't want to know because you're scared of what it might be. Because if you really want to know the will of God, you will know it. God will communicate it to you. He really will. And, and by the way, speaking of the will of God, how about, how about reading through the Bible this time last year? I don't know if you remember, but I told you that I was going to be doing a study, my own personal study, and I, I bought myself a chronological Bible. You know, it actually has the books in a chronological order. I really enjoyed it. I finished it back in the 1st of November. I've already started the Bible pro, my next Bible program, reading it again. How many times have I read the Bible through? I have no idea. A bunch. What are you planning to do this year? What's your Bible reading plan? Start in Genesis. That's what I always do. Maybe start in Matthew. Start in Revelation. Read it backwards. Be a weirdo if you want to be. <laughs> read the thing, though. Read it. What's your plan? Need to have a plan because here, again, there's so many blessings waiting for you. Psalm 1, 2, and 3. But it is the light, speaking of as opposed to the person that walks in iniquity and stands in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord instead. And in his law, he meditates just two times a day, day and night. How are you going to do that? You're not reading it. How are you going to do that if it doesn't have a daily time to wash over you? He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So, prospero año, right? Prospero año nuevo. You want to have a prosperous new year? I give it to you. There you go. Markets may not go up for you. You may lose everything, but you will prosper in all the ways that you need to. God, God has, has given that to us. He's, he's blessed that. So open yourself up for the prosperity of God by allowing the, the word of God. Trees don't grow overnight, but you've got to get them planted. I don't even know where to start. Pick it up and start reading it. I don't understand half of it. It's okay. God, if, if God inspired this text and he did, then God is the one who will inspire it to you. So read it. Read it and submit yourself to it. I started the time together with a, the little ditty from that guy, uh, Many Happy Returns. It's actually the beginning of it, you know, speaking to our, the blah, 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 blahs of Christmas uh, past. 
but he ends in a very high note. I want to read the rest of his little, little ditty here for you. He says, to celebrate peace and the meaning of giving, to discover real love and the purpose for living, dear Jesus, please help us to stop and remember that you came to earth not just for December, but from the birth in a manger to death on a cross, you gave up glory and counted it loss. So now as we trust you, God's only son, the real celebration has only begun. I want to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has said to us, the lessons that we can learn from these lives while well, live, Mary and Joseph, and honoring God and God's sovereignty. Maybe it would be a great recommendation for us to try this year, instant obedience. What would God bring to your heart today that you know he wants you to do? Would you obey him? Would you say that to him today? In your heart of hearts, would you say, I will obey you? I will do what you say. Maybe something big, maybe something small, doesn't matter. How are you going to know the will of God if you're not currently doing the will of God? God will make you ready for opposition. He'll make you ready to handle what he's given you now for future things that he has planned for you. He did it for Mary and Joseph. He can do it for you. God, I thank you so much that you are sovereign and that you don't have to change circumstances to make your will and your way come true. You don't have to change our circumstances in order to uh, guide us through and bring us out on the other side. Thank you so much, God, that that is so true. Lord God, we want to be fruitful. We want to be prosperous. We want to be blessed this year. In order to do that, we have to submit ourselves to your way, understanding how you lead and what you do. Help us to be happy, God, wherever we are. Happy until, like Joseph and Mary, until you tell us otherwise. Help us to be settled with that in our hearts. Instead of looking for something different in 2020, Lord, maybe it's the same stuff that we just need to do better at. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. We love you, God, and we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.